It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everybody, welcome into another Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo. Jim Callis continuing his extended vacation. He's decompressing before things get really busy here with September call-ups coming up. And of course the Arizona Fall League as well. On the pod this week... We're talking about Luis Urias making his big league debut with the Padres. Pipeline's Mike Rosenbaum is going to join us to talk about that and really a bigger Padres system segment as well. We're also going to put a bow on the prep showcase circuit. First, though, as we approach the waiver deadline on Friday, we're joined by a guy who was part of the biggest trade of the July 31st deadline. Dean Kremer was part of that deal that sent Manny Machado to the Dodgers, and he joins us to start things off. Dean, thank you for taking some time with us. Thank you for having me. Dean, having a really good 2018 right now, obviously the ERA under three. And, and really, when you look at your numbers, um, people talk about it being tough to, to be traded and to adapt to a new system. If anything, your numbers have gotten better since moving over to Bowie and the Orioles system. Just talk about what the transition has been like since that trade. Um, so the trade, I believe, was July 16th. 15th, something like that, somewhere in that range, and, and it was right after that All-Star game, and, and we kind of knew, well, I felt like I knew leading up to it, because I hadn't thrown in such a long time, but, um, I mean, you never really know here in professional baseball, anything can happen at a drop of a dime, but uh, um, it was a bittersweet feeling being traded away. Um, you always feel like you, you couldn't have done enough or or something to to help keep you around, but I loved everything that they that the Dodgers did for me and helped me become, and um, was happy about the new opportunities that I got with uh, the Orioles organization, and I'm happy to join them. Um, but as for the season, it's, it's been going well, and then being traded over the clubhouse, the guys here they hope, uh, welcomed the four of us with open arms, and it was really easy to. Uh, Get, get situated and then just getting accustomed to all the, the new organizational rules and, and the new people having to meet. Um, it, that was that was probably the biggest change for me. And then moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, I, I haven't been much on the East Coast in my life, um, but it's it's been it's been a good change. As a לדבר איתך, דין, כי עכשיו היום, הפעם הראשון שאני יכול לדבר בעברית בפייפליין פודקאסט, אז תודה לך. אין בעיה, לא דבר. Tim, you have anything to add to that? <laughs> Just to explain, Jonathan, or you can explain, Jonathan. That was obviously uh, some Hebrew there, something that, that Dean's very familiar with, and as are you, Jonathan. Yeah, well, it's it's a little rusty for me, but um, I, I basically thanked him for coming on because that was the first time I ever got to speak Hebrew, actually professionally probably, uh, outside of the trip to, to Israel for uh, for the documentary. 
Um, I'll get back to that. The well, you know what? We'll segue from there. It probably makes more sense. But uh, Gene, actually, you and I met um, in Asia when you were playing for Team Israel, uh, and I know that seems a long time ago. Uh, but how you know? How great of an experience was all that for you? Even though I know you didn't have a, a, a huge role on the team, but representing uh, Team Israel, your parents are you know are Israeli, though you grew up here. Um, and and how much do you think it helped sort of springboard you into what's been a, a you know a bit of a breakout season for you back here in the states? Um, it was it was a first of all it was an amazing experience getting to play in any any time I get to play in uh, other countries and in that big of an atmosphere and it was it was just a, a really awesome experience as a whole and then the team. Granted, I was one of the youngest, and a lot of guys either had major league time or or long minor league careers. So I got to learn a bunch from them and picking their brain, and and uh, I learned a lot over the course of the two weeks, three weeks. Um, and so that was that was great for me. And then coming back this year and really getting to put put those theories and stuff to work, and working with some of the Dodger guys during spring training. Uh, definitely, definitely helped put me where I'm at. Was the was the true highlight singing uh, backup karaoke with Ryan Lavarnway? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely <laughs> up there. Um, uh, all right, and we can get back to sort of regular baseball questions now if you want. I actually have one more question related to that stuff a little bit, and that is, um, or or a, a factoid, Dean, you're the first uh, Israeli citizen, actually, because you have dual citizenship, to be drafted by Major League Baseball. 38th round in 2015 uh, by the Padres. Then uh, a few uh, next year, you went 14th round to the Dodgers. Um, but you weren't right. drafted out of high school. So my question is, um, you, growing up in Stockton, California, you said you're a West Coast guy. And then you started at a, at a small college, obviously, before transferring to UNLV. At what point... Mm-hmm. Did it really click for you? Because obviously you weren't drafted out of high school, um, but then your your stock really kind of rose there over the college level. So so what happened over that stretch where your stuff or your skills, your pitch ability, where did it take off? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, how many people are very familiar with my story, but uh, I graduated high school uh, pretty small in stature. I mean, I, I was 5'11", 6 foot but I weighed about 140 pounds soaking wet so, and, and threw the ball about 83 miles an hour. So wasn't going to blow up by anybody. Um, and then when I got to junior college, they told me coming in that I was going to redshirt. Um, and I was excited for that because the, the staff on that team was already older. And so majority of the guys were leaving, and I'd have the, the chance the following year to be one of the one of the. Uh, prime starters on that team and so I pretty much took that whole year try to get as strong as I could first time really being in the weight room um, and actually taking baseball seriously um, and halfway through that my red shirt season I got a little velo jump and I was anywhere from 88 to 91 and then uh, coming back the following season I started throwing harder um, and I would I eventually got up to uh, 94, 95 in my junior college season before transferring over to UNLV. And that's, I mean, junior college is really where I 
uh, I peaked, I guess, um, in progression. That's where I got my jump. And what and what's been the biggest difference for you this year, Dean? Um, you know, like in 2017, you were in the California League. You pitched a lot at the bullpen. Um, this year, I mean, was it just a matter of getting a chance to to start regularly? Uh, but it does look like, you know, from a at least from looking at the number standpoint, everything, uh, you know, you're, you're using your stuff to uh, much greater results than than you had been previously since you entered pro ball. Yeah. Um, well, last year I had I got off to kind of a quick start. A quick start. Excuse me. Got off to a quick start and uh, shortly after, kind of kind of lost myself. I'd say started forgetting how to get people out started to worry about things and not not trying to pitch like I can pitch like trying to pitch like somebody else or or uh, uh be like somebody else and that's really not good for me at least um I can't do that I need to uh get to know myself and so I I got to know myself through the struggles last year and I came back this year and just try to just try to really do what I can do and and um, maximize my my stuff the best that I can. I wanted to ask you one more thing, Dean, and then um, Tim has a little uh, sort of rapid fire, fun, uh, quick way to end, end the interview. Uh, just you know, this year, you, you know, you made the jump up to Double A. You you handled that jump uh, really well. Uh, you know, uh, pitching. Well, uh, you know, with the one start in the Texas League and then in the starts you've had in, in the Eastern League, especially at the end. So I guess that's a two-part question. One, how difficult was that jump? I mean, how did you find making that transition? And also, I mean, you've now thrown, you know, you've blown past any innings amount you've ever thrown. You're at 125 innings, but yet you seem to be getting stronger. You are, you are a right-handed pitcher on our prospect team of the week because of the 12 shutout innings you threw last week. Uh how are you finding that you have so much left in the tank? And are you even surprised that I guess all the work you put in the off season to be able to last the whole season uh, has served you so well? So to answer your first question, um, the, the jump to double A. So coming into this season, they told me I was going to be starting high. And I had talked, so I, I had a feeling that, that I wouldn't be there for long, but I ended up being there for, for more than half the year. Um, due to other reasons, but so I was asking around. And said, All right, what's what's so difficult about Double A? Like, I've heard this is the biggest jump from high to Double A, and um, and and it, it I believe it is. Well, so far for me, I mean, Triple A of the big leagues is also a jump that I've I've noticed from other guys, but um, the high to Double A is definitely a jump here, and. Uh, what I've tried to do is again just maximize my stuff the best that I can and and pitch to my strengths because I mean seven out of ten times I'm supposed to win right so try to try to really play off that and make my pitches work well together and just just trying to get outs um, and then to answer your second question so in junior college the one year that I pitched in junior college I threw 112 innings. In that that season, granted, it's on a seven-day rotation, uh, so you get a little more time off. But I mean, that's that's kind of close, but at the same time, not that close. 
five days is a lot more difficult to keep to keep up with um, from what I remember uh, but yeah putting in the hard work in the off season and, and just trying to build myself up as as best as I can to prepare my body for this kind of fight this kind of competition throughout the season and, and being able to hold up the whole season not just break down um, as throughout the season you find more and more success I I'd say it gets easier because you start it's like a the, the snowball effect it goes either way when you have confidence it it can keep rolling and rolling and rolling and at the same time if you don't have confidence it can roll and roll and roll so just just being able to have confidence in myself to go out there and compete for however long I'm out there the 90 pitches 100 pitches is uh, is really what I try to do. All right, Dean, we like to finish up these interviews on the podcast with some rapid fire, kind of some fun questions with uh, quick, sometimes multiple choice type answers. Are you ready? All right, sounds good. All right, here we go. Uh, Players weekend was last weekend in Major League Baseball. So if you were in the big leagues, what would the nickname on the back of your jersey be? Oh, that's a tough one. I've actually thought about that. I, I didn't really have an answer, but... My junior college coaches would like to see Dean the Dream on the back. That's good. I like that. All right. Uh, falafel or shawarma? Falafel. Okay. No, no, not even a doubt there. Um, you no, played no, for. No doubt. <laughs> you've it's been... a close second, though. I'll give you that. Okay. You've been in the minors for a little bit now, so you've played for some different teams, and obviously minor league baseball. Uh, team mascots are interesting. What's been your favorite that you've played for along the way so far? Um, I, my first year in, in Great Lakes, the rally camel, I thought that, that, that bit was funny. He'd come out in the seventh, eighth inning when, when they needed a rally. And this year it looked like they, they had camel jerseys this year or, uh, toward, towards the end here. And I thought that was hilarious. That, that is hilarious. All right, moving on. What major league hitter would you be most excited to face? to face pretty pretty much any 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 of the big power lefties yeah that pretty is. much any of them that makes sense and then the last one uh favorite all-time jewish ball player uh, i mean it's got to be kofax right i mean that was that was what we we figured yeah <laughs> how about among how about among the ones who actually saw play like have on the team with me? It could be someone on the team with you. Sure. Um, my favorite to watch probably probably Zide. Josh. He's he's a he's one of the most competitive guys I've ever seen pitch out there. All right, great. I, I like Good the way ahead. he goes. Oh, I like the way he goes about his business. Nice. One mascot uh, that we realized that that you missed out on was the mensch on the bench from the World Baseball Classic. <laughs> yeah, if only he was alive, <laughs> walking around. <laughs> All right, oh, he's everywhere. Hey, Dean, thank you so much for joining us. This is great stuff. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dean. All right, that was Dean Kremer. Now with the Baltimore Orioles organization, currently pitching down in Bowie for the Bay Sox. And Jonathan, obviously you've known him for a few years now. 
Um, but but what a year it really has been for Kramer. He's kind of taken off here in 2018. Uh, he really is. He really has, and he's run with the opportunity both to to be in a rotation for a full year, uh, and then in the new new organization. Sometimes you see a guy get traded, and he even said it's bittersweet, and it's understandable that sometimes that that first little stretch of time when they get traded, it it can be rough. He's moving, you know, across the country. Guys, he doesn't know at all. Uh, you know, he's not. It's not like he's already been in the fall league, so he's met a bunch of other guys. Um, so there, there's a lot of new things, and he's gone out and he's been really, really good with with Bowie, uh, with the 2.29 or run average and seven starts and uh, 43 strikeouts and 39 and third innings. That's the thing that really stands out. He, he's got 168 strikeouts and 125 in the third innings. He is missing a ton of bats and he's not walking a ton, you know, a, a ton of guys, uh, you know, 44 walks on the year. I mean, he, he's had a really, really good year and he's gone from a guy who was sort of like interesting. Uh, and now a guy who was looking more and more like a, a big league starter and maybe one who could help in Baltimore at some point next year uh, at age 23. So, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily the, the top guy, the top name in that Manny Machado trade, but he's going to pay some really good dividends. All right, so Kremer's still a little bit away from the big leagues, but one big-time prospect has made the leap here Tuesday night. Uh, Luis Urias of the San Diego Padres, their number four prospect, but because their system is so loaded, basically. Um, he's a top 25 prospect guy as far as the top 100 goes. 0 for 3 in his debut, he did walk. And to talk more about his performance and what Padres fans can expect from him and from who else is going to be coming up from that organization, we have Mike Rosenbaum of MLB Pipeline joining us here. Mike, thanks for coming on a little bit. Uh, happy to be here. I guess my first question is, uh, you know, reading your what to expect from Luis, just to, to kind of get ready for, for what we should see from him. And the thing that stood out and that you focused on, I think, was the fact that this guy's an on-base machine. And while he didn't have a hit in his big league debut, he did get on base. So uh, playing right up to his reputation. Yeah, that's a perfect segue in, in describing him. He's a guy in his first four seasons. He's in the fifth professional season right now. In his first four seasons, he walked more than he struck out, which is a uh, you know, and pretty impressive feat regardless of level, especially when you consider that, you know, he, he did it for the first time at 17. He's, uh, you know, he's 21 now that it, it's um, a continued success. He struck out more this year in AAA, but, uh, you know, you can chalk that up a little bit to um, some changes he made to his swing, trying to tap into a little bit more power and also just the caliber of pitching at AAA. You know, you're seeing a lot of big league guys, a lot of guys who uh, have not necessarily the best stuff, but the ability to mix pitches and gets out and, and you know, potential to, um, you know, run up some strikeouts on a 21-year-old. That's the thing that really stands out about him. But, uh, you know, kind of just lost in the mixes. This guy can really hit, too. He, he draws those walks because he's got such a discerning eye at the plate. Um, he has a really good idea of what he wants to do every time he goes up there and then is able to execute, too. You know, it's a guy who's hit over 300 during those five seasons and, um, you know, projects to probably be about a 300 hitter at the major league level. It'll be interesting to see how much he walks and strikes out, whether that uh, consists or whether he becomes more of just a – a high contact guy, but um, you know all the all the tools are there for him to be a top of the order contact on base machine. I think he's you know after that homer in the uh, fall league in the fall stars game, he he's just now trying to jack the ball out of the park. Um, I'm kidding. Every time I've talked to him, he's like I st- I've never hit a ball that far, and I'll never hit a ball that far again. Um, 
you know, it's he still has 67 walks this year in the minors, even with the added strikeouts. And it looked like, I'm not sure, you know, if he was pressing uh, at, at stages during this, the year, you know, he started out the, the, the year like him, like he always does, and then kind of scuffled. And then August, he was ridiculous. Um, yeah. is it, was it just him? You know, is, you think it was just a matter of him uh, when you're in triple A start, thinking about that first big league call up, especially people like us probably asking about asking him about it all the time. And then him just remembering what, what works best for him. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I certainly would be thinking that if I was in triple A on the, on the cusp of the major league. So I'd like to think that other people do as well. Um, I, I think that definitely played a part of it. Uh, I, I think so. It's probably, you know, just him getting used to triple A pitching. It's a different dynamic compared to a uh, double A, what he saw last year, um, you know, and he didn't have any problem with that. He, Led the Texas League in OBP, so like that was that was uh, pretty simple for him. But moving up to AAA, it's a different caliber of pitching. It's a different type of pitcher, like you know the, the more veteran um, type mixed in with with some young guys. So I think it was an adjustment process there. But yeah, as you mentioned, Jonathan, he's been absolutely raking. You know, in August, I, I think I wrote he was batting like 420 over 20 yep. plus games in August with uh, you know x amount of x, uh, multi-hit games mixed in there so he's really figured it out here and, and settled in i think it was a great time by the padres to pull the trigger and call him up mike it seems like he's the kind of guy too that at the big league level um fans are really going to love this guy you talk about the padres and all the excitement about their prospects but he seems like a guy that could definitely fit the the fan favorite criteria yeah, and I, I think Jonathan would just mention it too. Speaking from personal experience, haven't haven't spoken to uh, Luis before. He's he's a he's a really nice kid. He's a really good kid. He's humble. He's uh he's honest. He laughs. You know, he, he's a very likable guy. Um, from a personal standpoint, and then from his game, you know, he's uh it's cliche, but he leaves everything on the field. He grinds out at bats. He's diving for balls like you saw in the first opportunity, the first play of the game last night. He made an outstanding diving play to his left. Um, you know, he, he's going to give you that all-out effort, whether it's at second, short, you know, maybe even at third base, and. Uh, you know, it's going to be fun for Padres fans to watch him put together a pass on a nightly basis. He's also worked exceedingly hard on his English um, to the point where I guess I talked to him last year in the fall league and he was great, but he didn't want to do an interview on camera in English. He was not quite there. I saw him at the AAA All-Star game in July. And the first thing he said is that I've been really working on my English. I was like, your English is really good to begin with. So we're fine. And he did a live in dugout interview on the broadcast in English. So he works on that, on that. I think that's going to help. The fact that he's Mexican and playing in San Diego is got to be like a, a marketing dream for the Padres and the fact that he can play. Um, why don't we open this up a little bit, talk more about the Padres system because, you know, Urias is playing second base. He's largely played second. He has shown he can play short. Um, there's that other guy uh, who's going to play shortstop, um, Fernando Tatis Jr. So why don't we start there? I know he's hurt right now um, because of a, a fractured thumb, but he's another guy, Mike, it seemed that uh, maybe he was pressing a little bit early um, and was coming on strong before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like he kind of had a quiet season, maybe just in terms of the first half, but then, like, you look at Tatis' numbers, and there's this 19-year-old who's hitting, uh, you know, he, he's OPSing over 850 in AA. He's nearing his second 20-20 homer, 20-steal season. At the time, he's getting hurt. He's playing great defense. He's drawing, you know, rave reviews for his leadership, uh, for his work ethic. You know, very similar to uh, Urias in that, 
He's uh, really worked hard at becoming bilingual and being a leader out on the field. So the, I know the Padres definitely love that aspect from both of those two guys. And, uh, you know, I, I think I speak for the entire baseball world when, you know, it's kind of kind of sad, a little disappointing that we're not going to get to see the, the Tati Furious middle infield, uh, you know, in San Diego in September. Yeah, but it will it'll be here soon enough, I'm sure, uh, early right, on in of 2019. Um, yeah, he won't be up in September, but the rosters are set to expand. So as you look through a Padres system that is loaded with talent, both pitching and uh, position as well, I just want your take on maybe maybe who's next. I think Francisco Mejia is the guy who uh, chalked in on the pipeline story about who to expect in September. Do you still see that being a possibility? Mejia, obviously new to the organization. Uh, they got him from the Indians at the trade deadline in the Brad Hand deal. Yeah, I, I definitely think Mejia will be up at some point. The question is, you know, when in September will that be? El Paso uh, El Paso's headed to the uh, the Pacific Coast League playoffs, so there, it seems like he's going to stick around for the time being and, and play there. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of what people thought about uh, Urias as well. And then, you know, to, uh, Monday night we learned that he's come up to the big league. So I, I think we'll see um, Mejia in a little bit of time. After that, you know, it, it's kind of uh, – there's no real obvious candidate to, to who might come, uh, come up. There's a lot of young players mixed throughout that system. Not a lot of guys already on the 40-man roster. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a stretch, but if the Padres wanted to give one of their AAA pitchers like a Logan Allen or a Cal Quantrill look in the big league, you could maybe see something like that. But I, I would think they would stick to the uh, the core rookie pitchers and young pitchers they've got up there right now, the Joey Lucchesi and the uh, Jacob Nix and so forth. Uh, there are so many arms, Mike, so many good arms here. Um, I'm jealous. Yeah, they really are. The Padres top 30. Uh, but I mean, just in the top ten, we, we've got like Gore and Paddock, Morhone, Baez, Allen. You mentioned, uh, then and Luis Patino in there too. He's, he, yeah, he could easily be in the mix too, man. He's he's very very good and one to keep an eye on. It's it's uh, it's a little bit crazy. I mean, Jacob Nix, who you know was a, a friend of the podcast, as we like to say, joined us and then got promoted shortly thereafter. Um, so congratulations on your promotion, Mike. Um, I was about, I was just about to make that joke. Thank you for doing that. Yes, you're you're quite welcome. I mean, among these arms, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make you pick one. Who's the one that you're the most excited for to see at the highest level, whenever that might be? I think I just uh, gave a spoiler when it, with the Patino yep. comment. It, it's Patino right now. I, you know, I kind of see him as a uh, Anderson Espinoza, you know, in that same mold where he's a guy who's really gained some velocities. He's gotten stronger. He's still 18, and, you know, he's been up to 98, 99 this year with feel for three pitches, control. Um, you know, granted, he's doing it in the, in the Midwest League, but it's still an age-appropriate league for him, and he's, um, he's got some serious upside. I don't, I don't even think the Padres knew that they were getting a guy this special um, when they signed him, but he's really blossomed into, uh, you know, a, a guy who we're going to be talking about in the Top 100 discussion next year. Great stuff, Mike. The Padres, number one organization uh, in baseball. It's been that way for a little bit here, and these guys are going to start to make their way up to the big leagues for sure. And it starts uh, this week, Luis Urias, giving fans a a glimpse of the future again. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yep, no problem. All right, uh, Jonathan, one more thing I want to touch with you on this podcast, and that is uh, the showcase circuit is kind of 
wrapped up. The state's play tournament was this weekend. Texas taking two out of three from California. It's something we talked about on the podcast with Jerry Manuel last week. Um, But just kind of briefly, we won't go too far in depth, but you have a top 10 high school draft prospects up on Pipeline that people should definitely check out because there was kind of an idea of who these guys were going into the summer, but obviously the summer before your high school senior year is the big summer to to either move up or move down and, and kind of prove what you are. Um, before this summer started, Bobby Witt Jr. was the guy, the shortstop from Texas, of course, the son of the former big league pitcher, and the summer is now over. And if anything, he's just widened the gap, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and it's funny because he's one of these guys who he, he doesn't even necessarily have to like do anything. Uh, he's gone to a couple of events and the state's play. He went off. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the perfect game, all American classic, he didn't really do anything, but he still, the way he carries himself and then, and, and just the all around tools always stand out. And he, wherever he's been, he, He's one of those guys that, if you're paying attention, it's clear he's the best player on the field. And he knows he's the best player on the field without it being like too cocky or you know uh, too much like I know everything. He's not like that. So we're talking about an all-around tool set, um, more power than maybe some people thought. I mean, he did really well in home run derbies and, and things like that and hit a couple of homers in, over the course of the weekend in the state's play thing, so showing up in games as well. Um, and the ability to play shorts up with plus makeup. He just loves to play. And the passion is always there, his willingness to move around and play different positions for Team USA. All of that has made him stand out. Now, he's been on the radar for a very long time, and with that often comes prospect fatigue. So it'll be interesting to see what evaluators think of him once we get to the spring, uh, you know, and they're seeing him over and over and over and over again. He, You know, he was almost made the the U.S. national team as an underclassman. So he had like a, a year uh, of doing those showcases before his junior year. So he has been on the map for, for quite some time. It kind of makes me think back to, uh, you think back a year ago, Bryce Terang had a yep. huge summer and was same kind of thing, a high school shortstop, obviously. Um, and then over the course of the spring, that fatigue set in and he ended up uh, drifting a little bit, still ended up being a first round draft pick. The thing that separates them, I think, though, is is this power that we've seen from Witt that I didn't know he had reading things and, and heading into the summer, but it's shown up consistently throughout the summer. You mentioned it, not just in batting practice and in derbies, right. but he's done it in games. And you look at him, you don't think the power's there, but then you see him swing the bat, and it is. Yeah, his hands are so quick. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and he knows when and when not to try to, to turn on a pitch and try to drive it. And it's not like he's you know, trying to do too much. Even in, you know, in the high school home run derby, it didn't look like he was trying that much it wasn't like a maximum effort and, and yeah it's the power his tools overall are louder than terang's uh you know and, and bryce terang is a good player i don't you don't i don't want to sort of diminish what he may be and he's a first rounder and and you know has a chance to stay short and all that stuff but the one thing that people worried about was was the strength and 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 how much he'd hit and uh, I think he's going to hit but Witt has a chance to be an elite level hitter with power and I think that's that is what what separates the two of them. 
Uh, a lot of things on your list. Uh, they, they obviously make a lot of sense. Riley Green came into the summer. A lot of people thought the best all-around hitter, and I think he kind of still has that um, marquee. Reese Hines came in with a lot of power, and he seems to be that guy. He's number five on your list, Riley Green number four. But on the pitching side, um, thinking back to the spring and heading into the summer, it seemed like the guy who who was the main man on the pitching side by a lot of people, we're talking about Hunter Barco. He's on your list. He's in the top 10 at number nine. But a couple of guys have really risen up. Daniel Espino, number three. Brennan Malone, number two. And you mentioned it in your article. Depends who you talk to as far as those two guys go. Right. They both threw really hard. Espino was up to 99 consistently all spring. And, and Malone was up to 90 all summer, rather. Malone was up to 97. Malone got the slight edge. Uh, he's a little more athletic. People seem to like his delivery a little bit better, um, but they they both missed a ton of bats. Uh, so it wasn't just throwing hard. Just throwing hard doesn't necessarily mean anything these days. I mean, it, it, it helps, um, but uh, but it, it, you know, but you have to be able to do more than that. They both showed good breaking balls and largely through strikes and and things of that nature. And with Barco. You know, it wasn't anything he did wrong. Other guys may have just sort of passed him up. Some people were a little concerned with his, his arm slot, which seemed to get lower as the summer wore on, but he was effective. So uh, he, as I said in the article, he might end up being kind of a polarizing guy because there are certain teams, if there's a funky arm action at all, uh, that makes them back off. Uh, others won't care as much. So, so we'll, you know, we'll, We'll see sort of what happens once we when, once we get to the spring. And the one other guy I wanted to mention quickly, because a lot of these guys were the guys heading in, but Corbin Carroll at number seven, who's from uh, from the Seattle area, is probably the guy who put his name on the map the most with how he performed uh, throughout the summer. Erico games, uh, perfect game, uh, All-American Classic. He was the MVP. Uh, he tripled off of Espino. Um, you know, he runs well, but the, there's more bat there than I think a lot of people thought. So he's the kind of guy, there's always a couple guys that play their way onto lists like these, as opposed to cementing their place. You know, we thought they were going to be, and, and Carol is definitely that guy this summer. Yeah, I can play out there in center field. A uh, really good athletic player for sure. All right. That's going to pretty much do it for this edition of the pipeline podcast. But next week, we're going to get into the Arizona Fall League because the rosters are coming together, Jonathan, and you've gotten kind of a glimpse of those rosters. Kind of give us a tease. Give fans a tease of what we can talk about next week with those AFL rosters. Oh, there's all sorts of goodness. <laughs> um, a ton of top 100 guys already, and there are a lot of holes to fill. These are just preliminary rosters. There'll be a ton of changes. Some guys will come off. There are a lot of open spots still, uh, but uh, a lot more top 100 guys in than there were at this point a year ago. Let's let's just say this. There was one guy very high on our top 100, really, really high, that we were hoping, Jim especially, would be going in the Fall League. And as of right now, it looks like that guy is going. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to see that guy at the big league level this season, but at least there'll be more baseball from that guy. Tune in next week to the Pipeline Podcast to find out who that guy is. All right, for Jonathan Mayo, and uh, thank you especially to Mike Rosenbaum and Dean Kremer as well for joining us on the podcast this week. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.